Welcome to Let's Talk Faith and Justice podcast. My name's Lyndon Sayers, one of the co-hosts. Boston, unfortunately, is sick today and can't join us. Uh, I'm joined remotely with Pam Rocker, our guest today, and we're going to talk about conversion therapy, all things about that in Calgary and Alberta and Canada. Um, and unfortunate that this is still a current issue today, but super important that we're giving it some visibility. So Pam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, maybe we could start, um, if you could just give us an outline, why are we talking about conversion therapy in 2024 when we thought in Canada this was outlawed in 2021? Yeah, uh, you know, and, and even before then, so in Calgary, there was a bylaw passed on the municipal level in 2020. And then, of course, two years ago in 2022, January 2022, it was uh, made, you know, it was criminalized officially in Canada nationwide. Um, we're talking about it because, you know, we knew that even though legislation would help bring awareness to that these things do happen inside of Canada, that they likely happen in a university church uh, support group, you know, something in your city, um, we knew that it wouldn't eliminate all of those, but at least bring awareness and let folks know that, yes, a majority of Canadians do not believe that there is anything that needs to change if you're someone who's transgender or gay or bisexual. And, you know, unfortunately, we see as efforts to create awareness and to create legislation that protects folks who are in the queer community from conversion therapy practices happening is that they develop more sophisticated language and more sophisticated structures. And so, you know, instead of promising change, right? Like we can change you to be heterosexual or we can change you to be cisgender. Um, the language is much more, um, you know, codified and the methods are not, you know, yes, there has, there has been electroshock therapy and things much more intense in the past. And some people still do undergo those things. But more commonly, it is just conversation and curriculum to basically, you know, quote unquote, make you follow the biblical model of what it means to be a man or a woman, what it means to be in an intimate relationship as man and wife in a, in a marriage. And, you know, so following what they are interpret as the, you know, traditional biblical standards and all of that is just updated language for conversion conversion therapy practices. And so we can't assume that folks who want to continue to profit from this and who continue to believe that this is the, the you know, epitome of holiness to be heterosexual and to be cisgender, um, we can't assume that they don't know what they're doing in terms of wanting to continue what they've always been teaching and not being, you know, being able to be sued for it or prosecuted for it. So that's why we're talking about it because yes, we do have some protections, but are they protecting people? It's kind of to be determined. And what does that actually look like on the ground when somebody you love or somebody you know is 
is in that situation or you know that an event or something is happening in your area that is promoting conversion therapy practices. So then what does that look like? What do we actually do to say that our, our home, that our city, our neighborhoods are not a place where we feel like people should be compelled or forced into um, trying to change something that does not need to be changed and is unchangeable anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks for setting up the scene there. And I wonder if one thing that makes some groups nervous when it's often Christian groups who are sponsoring these conversion therapy events um, is that it really requires other Christians who are queer affirming to oppose them because people feel like they're going to be opposing uh, someone's religious rights if mm. you show up. I mean, some queer groups are, have had to do this and organize for a long time. So that's nothing mm -hmm. new for uh, queer community groups and organizers. But for people who might just be, say, allies in the community, they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Knock on the door of this church or call call up their admin, send emails, What uh, um, on what grounds am I telling uh, this religious organization to back off and uh, to refrain from this kind of activity? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, the first thing I think of is a religious attack requires a religious response. So <clears throat> whether we're part of the queer community or we consider ourselves or want to be an ally or an accomplice to the liberation of everybody, I think especially if we are people of faith, it is really important for us to say, this is not the narrative that we believe, right? Um, you know, as somebody who uh, identifies as queer and as Christian, it is always really important for me and using the privilege that I do have is to be out in public and who I am and what I believe to be true. And I think that everybody who is at a point in their life and able to have some sort of a voice, whether that is calling a church and saying, I noticed that you have this event happening and I'm concerned as a person of faith um, about how faithful this event truly is, about what this says to people who read it or people who attend, about who is actually included in the love of God, who is acceptable, who is worthy, who um, deserves every, every right that everybody has. That is the most powerful thing because it's not about, you know, wanting to take away um, rights from somebody. It's not a, about wanting to take away religion, but we actually say because of our faith, because of our theology, because of what we know to be the expansive and imaginative love of God, because of those things, that is exactly why we see all God's creation as equal and beautiful and all the different expressions of love and different expressions of gender identity and you know what how all of those things beautifully unfold that we see that as just a part of creation it is not antithetical to our religion it's actually a grounding tenet of it 
And we see that it's really not until the majority of, you know, religious voices get behind a social issue um, until we find true sustainable change. And so, you know, whatever that looks like in any one person's context, whatever voice they have, whether it is sending a letter to their city councilor or sending a letter to um, a priest or, you know, whatever their particular thing is, I think it's really pivotal if faith is part of your journey and if faith does inform your choices in terms of like, who do I believe has dignity? <laughs> who do I believe has sovereignty over who they are? And, you know, those sorts of things. If that does inform it, then speaking from that point of view is very powerful because that's exactly what they're doing. And so, you know, being able to say, this is not a threat to faith. We actually want to be faithful. And, you know, it's when people use religious freedoms, um, you know, to me, that's just a huge red herring, right? right. Because religious freedom is you can decide what that looks like for you. It's not to um, put people in situations that make a decision impossible. Because for example, if you say to somebody, you have to take this curriculum or you have to pursue this ideology that is in line with only having heterosexual relationships, for example, for somebody who is gay, um, you can choose to do this or you, you will be exiled from this community. What kind of a choice is that? That's an impossible choice. You will be excommunicated and you won't belong anymore or you're going to be able to belong and still be beloved by our community. And let's not forget about the, you know, biggest sort of marketing tool that's used, which is the idea of hell, the idea of eternal punishment of some kind, which almost all religions have some form of that. And so using sort of those tools in these ways, I think is incredibly unfaithful and I don't believe that anybody for any reason has the right to say, you have to interpret the Bible in the way I do, interpret relationships in the way I do, or we're going to exile you from community, which also means you're exiled from God's community and you'll be eternally separated from God. Because ultimately that's what they're doing. So I can't think of anything that's less faithful than that. Yeah. And I wonder, um, there's so many, so many Christian leaders and, and Christians generally who are queer affirming, uh, but maybe they don't have the same kinds of privilege or comfort that we're describing. I mean, I've noticed that I can sometimes be a vocal advocate for these things. And I've been reminded by, by colleagues who maybe have less privilege to say, well, you know, we'd like to be loud too, but we are going to face repercussions possibly from within our own community or within the immediate neighborhood if we stand up like that. Um, and so mindful of those with relatively more privilege, and I think of all the, the kind of white, cis, hetero men, many of whom are clergy, who typically don't say a lot, who mm -hmm. don't want to make a lot of waves because uh, they don't want to deal with the pushback that, they might get, uh, but right. that's part of why we get stuck 
I think in yeah. in moving forward with this is everyone's got a kind of point at which they feel fear or pressure and mm-hmm. f- more so for for women, racialized people, queer people that that pushback can be real and life altering in in some cases or 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 uh, employment altering um so finding a united front whether that's led by bishops depending on your church ecclesiology or church leaders on a broader level and then with other rostered leaders and lay people behind that it feels like it's a, a bit of an organizing conundrum just like other like we might organize for black lives matter or, or what it might be mm-hmm. um that how do we find uh the emphasize those sources of connection you're talking about because we're talking about being faithful and standing up for queer people in ways that uh, lead to mutual liberation that we desire mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to everyone splintering into different groups out of fear or discomfort or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what you're getting at is like, sort of how do we approach this in, you know, at least with the motivation and the intent to be unified um, and focusing on what we have in common, right? Cause we're not going to always, no matter what, I can find pick three people who I think are think exactly like me, and they're not going to think exactly like me, right? Um, I think the the thing that's that's really important when we think about this is, you know, sometimes this is a really hard practice for me, but I do know that for most people, they are drawn to practice their faith or practice their spirituality um, out of really good intentions, out of something that gives them meaning, right? There's a reason why we're drawn to that. There's a reason why we have spiritual yearnings. And a lot of those things are incredibly universal. And I also think about, you know, on sort of, you know, a parallel line, but when we look at what we hope to be our fruit in the world, right? Because we are people of faith, what do we hope grows from that? That's questions that that every faith asks us. Because we believe this, because we practice this thing, what sort of change is that going to create within and without? And I think what probably most of us, whatever we name our our faith practice, would say that we want everybody to be able to live, um, first of all, to live, you know, like physically exist and not violence enacted on them. And we want everybody to be able to flourish in the way um, that they were made to be. And, you know, we see in, in the scientific and medical communities that they have said, attempts to change sexuality, to change gender identity are lethal for people, even if they voluntarily, quote unquote, if we can call that a decision, like I mentioned the, you know, the consequences if you don't fit in earlier, 
even if they voluntarily go through um, these sorts of therapies, whatever they might look like, the effects are devastating. I mean, think about it. Anybody who's listening who has a you know, romantic relationship and you know somebody that you love, somebody who you would do anything for, somebody you have created a life with, and if somebody said to you, you know what, actually, I think that's a sin and you need to repent and turn around and get rid of that person because that's not holy, how devastating that would be to take something that's so sacred and precious to you and, and call it something that's an abomination, right? And so what would that mean if somebody turned that on other people? the most you know like precious thing that we have in our lives for many of us not all of us is our family is our close relationships and to say that other people who don't align with heterosexuality don't have even an opportunity to have an intimate relationship to build a life with another person who they actually are attracted to um I don't see how that fits in with our hope that people can live an abundant life. And because the consequences of conversion therapy practices and, you know, sexual orientation and gender identity change efforts at a whole lead to so many deaths by suicide. They just do, you know, can we even agree on the first thing is that we want everybody to live? Right. Yeah, that seems like um, such a, a low bar that um, if there are people not willing to sign on to that, that's just a non-starter <laughs> right there. Right. We're not having a debate about whether people, whether queer people have a right to live. That They do. <laughs> we're right. not we're not going to debate that. Um, right. And right. unfortunately, so, too many of the right there used to be that kind of. um kind of debates that churches would hold in the 90s and early 2000s about gay marriage, yes or no kind of thing, like we're just going to have a referendum on whether these people deserve to live or have flourishing lives. It's just so dehumanizing. Um, and that stuff right, obviously continues today, those kinds of things. I mean, even we think about we had a queer affirming Sunday at Lutheran Church of the Cross, where I serve in Victoria. And uh, I mean, one person involved, we invited inclusive Christians here at UVic to be the leadership. Someone said, well, is Queer Affirming Sunday even getting a bit outdated? Like, what about Queer Focused? Shouldn't every Sunday be a Queer Affirming Sunday? Um, mm. Like, what what are we saying about the other Sundays? Um, <laughs> and that, that was a good good point. And like, so even some shifts of language, things that mm. were maybe current five or 10 years ago need re rethought, reimagined, um, and isn't just the banner we want to raise once a year for in the Lutheran mm -hmm. tradition, reconciling in Christ Sunday is typically a queer right. affirming Sunday, last Sunday of January. I mean, good to broadcast that across the U.S. and Canada for those congregations who participate, but... Um, yeah, we need to raise the bar a little bit and thinking mm -hmm. about language of inclusion. Um, right. So yeah, I've been thinking, thinking a bit more 
uh, about how we can yeah, talk about liberation and, and maybe the language we use for that in, in different ways. And um, you also mentioned uh, about the specific event that's happening in Calgary. You've spoken about that online and other spaces. Um, it's partly how this topic arose that there is uh, a speaker, Christopher West, who Roman Catholics are, are bringing in uh, mm-hmm. later in February. Um, and as you talked about, they're just getting more deft at uh, using language that skirts around what would traditionally be known as conversion therapy in order to, I guess, continue these practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Christopher West is extremely well-known um, and travels around the world teaching on, you know, his book and sort of the ideology called Theology of the Body. And so I imagine many Roman Catholics would be familiar with, um, if not him, definitely like those teach some of those teachings. And he is doing an event called the Theology of the Body Conference in Calgary coming up on February 9th. And um, I got tipped off to this event because um, we know Christopher West to be extremely intertwined with not only his own ideology that's included in Theology of the Body and other works that he's put out there, but with a wide, wide network of people who also provide conversion therapy practices, conversion therapy organizations, um, quote unquote, ex-gay organizations, um, and people who have been involved in all sorts of, um, you know, sexual orientation, gender identity change efforts. So um, this was concerning to me, obviously, and because, you know, myself and many, many other people and a lot of people of faith really rallied together in a really beautiful way in, um, you know, even before 2020, but, you know, culminating in an ultimate, you know, passing of a very strict bylaw uh, banning conversion therapy practices in Calgary. Um, I thought that this was a great opportunity for us to enact this bylaw. And so um, we did a call to action and, you know, asking people to phone this in and also to contact the host church, Holy Spirit Catholic Church, to say, um, you know, this is not something that we see as a faithful event. Um, It's headlined by somebody who is well, well documented to be involved in these practices. And um, we also found out that a senior member um, uh, higher up at the Calgary Catholic School District sent an invite to all of the teachers, um, or sorry, all of the junior and senior high principals, uh, inviting them to come to this event and considering to, you know, maybe even sponsoring a teacher to attend. That got my attention even more because as we know, currently in Alberta, um, there's talk about, you know, putting in legislation for parental rights. This has happened in Saskatchewan. This has happened in lots of other provinces um, in Canada right now, which basically boils down to um, reducing protections for trans kids um, at the end of the day. So we are dealing with um, being kind of 
you know, stuck with bylaw folks not being as trained as they should be around what modern conversion therapy practices and advertising looks like. Um, and we're, we're dealing with, you know, um, again, just this, you know, sophisticated language that's, that's very cloaked and, you know, everyone is fearfully and wonderfully made and all of us are, you know, part of the divine unfolding, right? All of this really beautiful language about how great we are and how much we should live up to our purpose. But we know that underlying that is, you know, being, you know, falling in line with what the quote unquote traditional family looks like. Um, male and female marriages and, you know, of course, not being transgender. So, you know, we, I've wanted to be really open online about this because I think a lot of folks, I think, you know, it, with really good intentions are like, oh my gosh, great, Calgary banned conversion therapy. Phew, it's not happening anymore. Oh, wow, Canada banned conversion therapy. It's criminal now. Phew, it's not happening anymore. And although I put in a lot of time to support, um, along with thousands of other people, to support those things, those bills to be passed, because I think it's important that we as a society say, no, this is not okay. This is criminal. It's unproven. It's fraud. It's not okay that people profit off of this. And it doesn't work anyway. Um, it doesn't mean it goes away, right? And so I wanted to say, okay, can we actually prosecute this event? Because um, I've been working and talking with conversion therapy survivors for 15 years. And I know that this language is conversion therapy language. And so, you know, we are trying to get some traction with city council and with other entities to say, um, our laws should be enforceable. This shouldn't be something that if people are wanting to promote these this ideology, they should be able to do without without it getting attention and saying, wait a minute, we actually know what this is and this is not okay. And furthermore, I want trans youth and any queer or trans person to know that they are okay and that no matter what their teacher, principal, parent, priest, minister says, that there's nothing wrong with them. Um, and that they know who they are and that who they are is completely amazing just as is. So, um, you know, we'll see how this unfolds in the next week or so, but I think it's important that people know this is not just a Calgary thing. This is not just an Alberta thing. This is happening in your backyard, right? So if you, whenever anybody says there's some sort of crisis or we're forgetting sexual crisis, we're for, forgetting what it means to be male and female, right? We're forgetting about traditional family values. There's all kinds of code language that basically means only being heterosexuality or heterosexual is holy only being cisgender is holy everything else is not sacred and that's a really deadly belief that still gets out there and i believe that people of faith more than anyone should really believe in harm prevention and harm reduction so we should care intimately about these messages that are being put out 
Yeah, I think about uh, back in the fall, there was the so-called one million children event that uh, took some of us by surprise how how uh, coordinated those events were across the country. Yeah. And it kind of put us on our back foot a little bit and it felt like a bit of a deja vu from the convoy of like well we were at home uh getting vaccinated wearing masks and whatnot there was another group of people organizing uh a great big hoot nanny kind of event that we poo-pooed about conspiracy theories and whatnot and think well that's uncle ed at home and he thinks wacky things uh, about what's in a vaccine. And then before you know it, there's this national movement and they're, they're good at making them broad base. Um, right. Of like, Oh, well, we'll throw, we won't throw one issue at you. We'll throw 20 and one of those will stick probably. Um, and if you're in search of community, maybe this is a place you'll find it. Right. Right. And so we saw a reprise of what the convoy had success with that uh, during the lockdown. And then um, the kind of so-called One Million Children movement, which was an anti-queer movement and riding the wave of some of these provinces, talking about parental rights and whatnot, um, that there still is that organizing energy that some of those channels use. And so when when you mention that conversion therapy isn't just a Calgary thing or an Alberta thing, um yeah it is it is a call to wake up wherever we are mm-hmm. including in Victoria which is considered one of the more queer friendly places and still we have those kinds of movements active here churches mm-hmm. that support them um I mean, thankfully at least at the BC legislature we were able to overwhelm with numbers those who came out against queer folks but mm-hmm. we knew other parts of the province in outside of Vancouver, for example, in Surrey and other places where it wasn't like that. And right. um, so I think, I don't know if that makes sense to see conversion therapy as just another one of those things in the toolbox those folks use and for us not to fall asleep on this and say, well, I haven't seen an event like that in my town, so I'm probably fine but rather for us to start organizing as Christians and, and others uh, to to have like a, a unified front as best we can against that. And maybe even like what, how would we imagine, instead of just playing defense, because so often we're reacting mm-hmm. to a well-organized, mm-hmm. well-coordinated event, um, and then a lot of energy goes into it in the short term to try to do all this catch-up then we have the counter protest or whatever the action is. Um, as I imagine there could be say in Calgary up to this event on February 9th. And then everyone kind of regroups and catches their breath. And then often we fall back into sleep mode and wait till another event like that right. pops up. And I wonder how do we get instead of on, on the back foot, how you get to the front foot and, all the things you're already uh, beautifully describing, um, how we could work together in a coordinated way, both locally and then through networks across provinces and the country and beyond, um, so that there is this organizing and this relationship building happening on an ongoing basis. 
so that we don't, when these events do come up, we're ready for it. And we're not building some apparatus from the ground up as sometimes right. is the case. That's a really, really, really good and important question. And I think, like you said, building community and building trust and building relationships year round, regardless of the issue at hand or whether there's any, you know, urgent issue that's, you know, in the, the public discourse at all is extremely important. Um, you know, I often say like, you know, progressive people, progressive faith communities, um, they, they think a lot about, you know, practice what you preach. Um, and I think that's really good, but I think that we can lose the thread when it comes to preaching what we practice. We can assume that people know what we think. We can assume that our coworkers, our friend group, our sports team, you know, the people around us know that we are affirming people or know that we, we don't think it's okay that people are stunted and, you know, oppressed in these certain ways. And so I think, you know, whatever we can do, you know, I use, I use this teaching acronym all the time of the word PIE, P-I-E, for being public, intentional, and explicit, right? What are the things that we're doing as people and as communities that are public, intentional, and explicit always that say what we believe to be true, right? We can't think that it's not radical anymore to say um, queer people deserve rights. It may seem completely like, you know, oh, that's old. Like, no one needs to say that. It's, it's not old. I'm sorry. I wish it was that way. I want to be bored, <laughs> you know? Um, I, I want there to be no controversy or debate about who I am or, or if I can get married or if, you know, if I had a trans kid, if they were allowed to, to be themselves or have access to medical care or not. But that's just not where we're at. I'm so thankful for the progress we have, but we're just not at a place where it isn't a radical act to be affirming, right? Even in the United Church, for example, like less than 10% of all United Churches are officially affirming, like have gone through the process and, you know, had the conversations and had the rubber stamp. It doesn't mean that all the other 90% are horrible. It just means 10% have have been on that journey and have voted and said yes right so you know it still is an extremely um under represented group of people who say out loud this is what we believe to be true and you know i think one of the things that we can do instead of just reaching out to our local you know, to us LGBTQ plus serving organizations, maybe during pride or, you know, transgender day of visibility or, you know, something else is that we develop relationships and build communication and trust with folks in those organizations, volunteer with them, you know, like co-host a movie night, offer your space if you can, um, you know, bring cookies to their next, you know, board meeting or something, right? There's so many little things we can do to say, 
yeah, we have a different narrative than the really loud narrative that says there's something wrong with queer folks. And I think building that trust is really imperative because it's understandable that folks would be like, oh, you're coming from a, a what church or, you know, or whatever, or even if we're not affiliated with a faith, if we haven't had, you know, a lot of relationships with those organizations before, um, to become somebody who they know, like that you're there for them and you're there with them and you're going to put yourself on the line beside them for the issues that come up. And then you're, you're better informed about what's actually happening. You can better target the, the advocacy that you do because you will have better information about who to write, what you need to do, where the protest is, how to stay safe and all of those things. And it means a lot. Like it's, you know, it's wild to me how little, how little we have to do sometimes to make such a, a huge impact. Um, but I remember, you know, giving somebody a button during a pride parade and seven years later, the same person came up to me and said, you gave me a button at the pride parade and it's still on my kitchen table. And because I was walking with the church at that time, she said, I've just thought this whole time, like maybe it's true that I'm loved. And so we can't underestimate even the little things that we do that tell people that they can belong. And, and like you said before, I think that was a really poignant piece of what you said about, you know, the convoy and the million person march. And it's like, people are looking for community. We are. And none of us are immune to finding community in places that might be bound together by their disdain for others or disdain for, you know, certain ideas um, that it's, uh, that are really unhealthy. And so, you know, can we be people, can we be institutions that offer that belonging with no barriers to being included? Because everybody wants that and everybody deserves it. But some people, unfortunately, you know, aren't going to find that in every space that they actually should. They're not going to find that in their own home. They may not find it at school. They may not find it at their place of worship. They may not find it at their work. So can we be people that offer those spaces, those however small gestures or conversations of belonging? Um, and I think that those little movements are what really changes everything. Um, and ultimately, when we say, you know, when I say that, like, how damaging conversion therapy practices are, I'm still talking about belonging. Because I have seen the ways in which the idea of threatening that somebody is not going to belong anymore to a community that maybe they've been rooted in for decades, where they've gotten all their sense of identity 
from that that can be taken away from them because they have certain attractions or because maybe they're expressing their gender in a way that they're not expected to. To me, that's the most heinous thing um, to threaten somebody's sense of belonging. And so can we offer those spaces so that way folks who aren't finding that for whatever reason, um, because I really believe if we create environments where people who are most on the margins to be able to belong, we're creating environments for everybody to be able to belong. Um, can we do that? Can we be a part of that? And, you know, really my hope is not to demonize anybody. You know, I get really mad, of course, because I know that conversion therapy has led to suicides and it is devastating. And I know what it's like to be a part of a system that believes so strongly in those ideas. I was part of the evangelical church 25 years. I get it. I know how hold we close we how hold how close we hold those ideas. And we feel so much fear that if we change something, that it's a house of cards and nothing that we've ever believed in is gonna like be real anymore. But we have to mature in our faith beyond that point. We have to believe in a God that's bigger because we act like the God we believe in. We have to, to be able to say, yes, every person is sacred and worthy of belonging. And what am I doing to make sure that that happens? And my faith is still going to be intact, whether my priest or my, you know, friend or my whatever believes it or not because God is big enough to hold that. Well, Pam Rocker, yeah. um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think that's a good note to, to wrap things up. Uh, as always, we give people an opportunity to shout out their socials and other places you can be found online. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook at Real Pam Rocker, R-E-A-L Pam Rocker. Yes, that is my real name. <laughs> um, and I would love to invite everybody. We um, are co-hosting an event on nonviolence and sacred activism coming up in April. And I'm the director of Affirming Connections here in Alberta. So if you just go to affirmingconnections.com, we have all the information about that on our website. Um, we really need to know how to resist and do advocacy in ways that are not seeking to harm others, no, even no matter how much we disagree with them. So I'm super looking forward to this and I encourage people to come out and yeah, feel free to connect with me. You have thoughts, questions, looking for resources at realpamrocker or pamrocker.com. I'm happy for you to, to be in touch. Wonderful. And a shout out here to CFUV who hosts the show on the campus of University of Victoria for inclusive Christians at the Multiface Center here on campus, Lutheran Church of the Cross and the BC Synod Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada for supporting campus ministry and the show. Um, well, thanks again. And until next time, friends. Thank you so much. <laughs>